0: Bankside
1: Arts Collective proudly presents the Bankside Repertory Theatre production of Jeff Calloway's A Dickens of a Tale. This audio performance is an adaptation of the play which was originally performed at the Jacoby Arts Center in Alton, Illinois in 2015. If you like what you hear, we'd be very grateful if you would take a moment to rate and review us so that others can find their way to the work. We also encourage you to subscribe Bankside Arts Collective will be producing more audio drama, as well as a variety of additional programs related to the visual and performing arts. Links to our website and other bonus information can be found in the show notes. But for now, grab a spot of tea, a warm blanket by the fire, sit back, relax, and enjoy A Dickens of a Tale.
2: Our story opens in the public salon of Burnham and Berry Limited, Undertakers. It is a well-appointed room in the somber tones of a funeral home of Victorian England. Center stage features a podium where the speakers stand to offer their memories of Ebenezer Scrooge, the recently dear departed whose painting stands on an easel decorated with a tasteful wreath and a velvet ribbon. The salon appears empty, but we hear the ghost of Jacob Marley entering through the salon, dragging his long, awkward chain and mumbling discontentedly. The service has not yet started. Marley is in the clothes he wore in life. A little worse for the wear, his face is a fright and his hair stands on end from all the heat in the underworld.
1: Marley was dead to
3: begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. Old Marley was
1: as dead as a doornail.
3: Funny expression, that. Imagine his surprise if a carpenter ever picked up a live
1: doornail.
3: It's a wonder they even use that simile nowadays. And would a living doornail be suitable to the purpose, even? I shouldn't think so. <laughs> I suppose you could say that twas I that started the ball rolling with old Scrooge, lo, those many Christmases ago. I, being dead, as was aforementioned, was given a brief furlough from hell to come back and warn Scrooge about the eternal consequences of his current behaviour. I was half hoping that Ebenezer would be down soon to join me in my agony, him being a compte for greater sins than mine. We could pick up where we left off. Scrooge and Marley, come visit us in our new location, Hell, (laughs) borrow funds at diabolical rates, (laughs) That, that sort of thing. On Earth, we were partners in one of the most successful usury businesses in Greater London, and experimental adventurers in the loan sharking trade. I was beginning to miss the old bugger. It had been, after all. Seven years that I had predeceased him to the day, don't you know? Hell of an exit from earth, eh? Kicking the bucket on Christmas Eve. I don't believe in poetic karma justice, but dying on Christmas Eve has a most pathetic quality to it. And it was no consolation that my wife died the same night, sent straight to purgatory together, cheek by jowl, as it were. Both of us are convinced it was the salmon moose we had for dinner. <laughs> I was going to have the pâté, but no, she said. Anyway, a reprieve from hell is a reprieve from hell. So I took the opportunity and came back up here to let him know that higher powers had arranged for him to be visited by three ghosts. Christmas is past, present, and future. If... After hearing their commentary on his miserable life on earth, he decided not to redeem his blessings and live a life of Christian charity and service. Then he'd be welcome to join me in our nice little hovel that I share with the missus on the fourth level of the inferno. I had intended to give it a fair go, warning him that his chain of misdeeds was already three times longer and heavier than mine and he wasn't even dead yet. I know I scared the stuffing out of him. Appearing suddenly in his bedroom on Christmas Eve and playing up the whole scary ghost bit. It was as much fun as I've had in years. Scrooge! Rattle, rattle, clink with the chains, a bone-chilling screamer! moaning Ebenezer! Scrooge! Knocking books off the shelf, blowing up the bed curtains. He was falling all over himself like a cat trying to get out of a bathtub, he was. (laughs) really put the wind up him and set the table for the three ghosts. But I never expected him to embrace a full conversion. None of us did. I mean, we're talking about a 19th century upper middle class English businessman and type A pain in the arse. Odds are against it, eh? Who would have thought it? I mean... I even left his bedchamber with the whole, Ooh, screwed, repent, 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 doing my best rendition from Hamlet. You know, swear, swear, swear. Because I was so sure he'd bah humbug me and carry on being mean and miserable. I even put a welcome home Ebenezer sign on the front door of a hell hovel. I was so sure he'd be down to join me. It just goes to show you can never tell with folks. People can surprise you. Even the most miserable of them can show a heart of pure gold and turn everything around like that short little fellow from the gospel. What was his name? Uh, Oh, uh, Zacchaeus. Thieving tax collector who had a change of heart and gave everyone he cheated four times the amount he stole from them. Never saw that coming with old Scrooge. He's the kind that made change from the offering plate at church when he'd bother to go. Couldn't part with a shilling if a gun was to his head. Just like me, my partner was. And worse, he took the job to a whole new level that I never foresaw. That's why the conversion was so shocking. He was so deep in the river there was no swimming out. Avarice, wrath, envy, pride... And chiefly pride. Lots of pride. And they say that pride is the worst of the seven deadly sins. The only ones he didn't go for much were gluttony, sloth and lust. Although he may be guilty of the last one before I knew him, I don't know, you'd have to ask Bell. <laughs> no, I never knew what drove him. Nor he me. Nor do I know why he got the signal flare about repentance. Why not me? I wasn't as far gone as him, but did I get a warning from the three ghosts? Hell no. I mean, really, what is so damned special about Ebenezer Scrooge? He never married, no kids, practically useless to society in every meaningful way. Why? Him. We were partners for years and pushed every legal parameter we could to build up our profits. What did it get us? I mean, me. Scrooge slipped the noose, apparently. Am I happy now that I cut and sliced my way to a place where material wealth does me no good? No. Did I learn what being a Christian really means in practice? Yes, but far too late to help me now. I'd almost be gratified with the knowledge that my wife, who is and was worse than I, also ended up in hell, if it weren't for the fact that that I have to keep on living with the nagging old bat. No one... No one does punishment like Satan. Bastard. He really gets you where you live. So, my whole part in this story boils down to this. You'd better watch out. You don't want to fry. You don't need to doubt, because I'm telling you why. Someone's on the upside looking down. Consider yourselves warned. If you are a money-grubbing, miserly sociopath like Scrooge and me, turn it around now. Or look forward to spending eternity housed with all of your ex-spouses and employers. At least, the hell-bound ones. Have I scared you yet? No? I can be scary. Boo. No, I know what's going to scare you. You can hear me, right? Right. Well, that means you can pretty much bet on being visited by three more spirits after you go to bed tonight. <laughs> now that should scare you. No? Really? You're probably You're all such model citizens that the spirits will arrive, show you what a wonderful life you have lived, and the next stop is heaven. (laughs) Wonderful life, heaven. Give me a moment. No, no, it's all right. I've said my bit.
1: Don't pity poor
3: old Jacob Marley. He got what he deserved. No memorial service for him, no. No Christmas books from Charles Dickens or witty plays. Just back to hell with a ball and chain
0: good evening ladies and gentlemen thank you for attending this most solemn yet joyous occasion as we remember the spirit and celebrate the life of mr ebenezer scrooge financier philanthropist and beloved uncle at this time allow me to introduce mr fred mr scrooge's nephew and the master of ceremonies for the evening we hope you will take comfort from the remarks of his family friends and associates and we encourage you to make yourselves at home here at the sumptuous establishment of Burnham and Barry. Refreshments and conveniences are down the hall in the main parlour. Mr. Fred, if you please.
4: Thank you very much, Mr. Burnham. We are indebted to you for such fine and tasteful decorations and to Mrs. Fezziwig for the lovely catered buffet in the parlour. Well, family always wins through in the end. Also, they say, maybe it doesn't now that I think of it, but in my case it did, eventually. Ebenezer Scrooge was my uncle, God rest his soul now. He was my mother's brother and never had children of his own, but also never seemed interested in our family's affairs in any significant way. Four times a year, especially at Christmas, I would do my duty as a nephew and make, as my wife would say, the voyage of futility to uncle's office, to invite him to holiday dinners. New Year's, Easter, Midsummer's Eve, Christmas, it made no difference to Ebenezer Scrooge. He wasn't having any of it. And to tell you the truth, I started to become glad of his refusals. Who would want a sour, socially inept old geezer moping around and sucking all the joy out of the room? Still, I always held out hope that the Lord and crushing loneliness— "'would do the work of the ages and change his mind. Ten years ago it changed. "'No one was prepared for it, least of all him. "'He caught us totally by surprise, I must say. "'I had done my usual duty on Christmas Eve "'calling on him at his business.
0: "'Never
4: had I dared to stop by his home "'to be told "Bah, humbug whilst I stood on his steps.' We chatted for a bit, him bashing the whole Christmas tradition, me holding the high ground with as much grace as I could muster. And I left Scrooge and Marley's as I always did, Christmas dinner invitation offered, Christmas dinner invitation chewed and spat back at me for my trouble. If I had dared, I would have invited his long-suffering clerk, Bob Cratchit, and his family to dinner as well, but I was not certain that Bob would ever dare to accept an invitation, with Uncle Ebenezer looming over him, snorting disdain from both nostrils. My wife jumped three feet and landed side saddle on a chair when Uncle suddenly stuck his head around our dining room door on Christmas Day, unannounced, and barked, Fred! I had my back to the door or I would have landed in my wife's lap. When I turned round, there he was, dressed to the nines, looking like some earl that had just come from Whitehall. "'Why, bless my soul,' I said, trying to get my breath back. "'Who's that?' "'It is I, your Uncle Scrooge,' he said, with a heartbreaking mix of sorrow and joy, joined to an air of humility that I never suspected he would be capable of. "'I have come to dinner. Will you let me in, Fred?' "'Let him in?' Why, it's a wonder I didn't shake his arm right off his elbow. We had only just started to enjoy some hors d'oeuvres when Topper and all the rest of them arrived. After a moment's shock to all, they embraced Uncle and drank many a toast to him for a long overdue visit. Topper drank a few too many toasts and uh, <clears throat> had to be eased under the settee. It was well nigh on midnight when Uncle Ebenezer finally took his leave he said that he had to be sure to get enough sleep because he had a busy day at the office on the morrow and a special surprise for Bob Cratchit. Now, if I hadn't just seen him make merry with my household and friends and seen him at the centre of the games and songs, I would have worried for old Bob. But there was a gleam in Uncle's eye that told me that all would be well and that perhaps... This was more than a brief holiday from his usual misery and complaint. He never said what had caused the change of heart, but for my money, I wouldn't care if a whole host of demons visited him in the small hours of the night and scared him right back to humanity. Serve him right, it would, and I mean that literally. Whatever it was that made him human again, I thank heaven for it, for he was the cheeriest, liveliest, and most magnanimous gent you would ever chance to meet from that day on, this side of being fitted for a straitjacket. Now what actually happened when he called on the Cratchits, Bob, his clerk, the whole household? Well, he gave them quite a shock as well. But I won't tell that story. We are honored to have Mr. Cratchit here tonight, and I think it would be best if Bob told that story and shared a few memories of Uncle Scrooge. Would you grace us with your remembrances, dear sir?
5: (laughs) Now don't you bestir yourself, Bob, my dear. It's no shame to weep over the loss of Mr. Ebenezer. We'll all look like a waterworks when this service is done and dusted. Mark my words. You can say a few words later when you've composed yourself. You just sit there and I'll do the talking for the both of us. What's new, (laughs) eh? Why, thank you, Mr. Fred. Though it is a sad occasion. We are very pleased to remember Mr. Scrooge with you and the family. I should say I am pleased to remember Mr. Scrooge as he became. Not as he was when we first knew him, sorry to say. But there you are. It was a blessed change, if ever there was one. Bob's done so well for himself, and for us. I wasn't thinking so at first when he started clerking for Scrooge and Marley, but it all turned out well in the end, don't you know? Thank heavens! It was touch and go there for a while. Might have been the end of the whole Cratchit line. Well, at least his coat of arms... We'd have had to sell those off long ago just to keep body and soul together. That's a bit of a joke. Robert Cratchit and his family never had a coat of arms. We were lucky to have a coat over our arms. (laughs) That's another joke. Oh, Oh, I shouldn't be laughing, though. Not so soon after Mr Scrooge's passing. Lovely man. And you know... Ten years ago, I would have been shocked to hear myself say that. It's so difficult to make ends meet these days. I was just saying that to the kids years ago before the blessed day. Mummy, they were saying. Mummy, these sausages taste funny. They're like real sausages in the middle, but they taste like old breadcrumbs on the ends. Well, darlings, I says. These are hard times for your father and me. These days, it's hard to make both ends meet. <laughs> it took them a while, but eventually they got it. <laughs> I can't seem to help myself. Must smack of ingratitude, now, Laughing like a hyena here, not three days after Mr. Scrooge's funeral. But you want to know something? I'll be glad to tell you. Perhaps Uncle Ebenezer wouldn't have it any other way. Joy was the thing for him. Laughter, bonhomie, all of that. If he could have, he would have told jokes at his own funeral or danced a jig. And yes, that's right, you clever customers that heard me just now. I did say Uncle Ebenezer because he insisted that we call him that the day he doubled Bob's salary and took such a great interest in our family. I was concerned at first. Ebenezer Scrooge was the type to invite you over for dinner and then cook you for the dinner rather than play the charming host. I never liked him. I told Bob so. But Bob is a saint. Saint Bob. Somehow, he has unconditional love for everyone, even the monsters, it's unconditional love what has got us through. Sickly kids, long work hours for low wages, cramped living conditions. It's all enough to drive a normal family around the bend. But we loved our way through the leaky roof, the leftover food, the dog pile into the beds at night in the single bedroom. And we always found some comfort and humour. Aye, humour in finding a way to keep calm and to carry on. We've been lucky, but for most of our early days as a family, we were struggling, as most others are like to do. The money Mr Scrooge and Mr Marley was paying didn't go so far when the kids started coming along. We were grateful to have two pennies to drop into an empty tea tin at the end of a month. I wasn't keen on Bob taking that job in the first place. Clarking at a counting house? Horse feathers! Bob could have done much better. He's always been dead clever with figures, and such an accommodating man. Too accommodating sometimes, but you won't hear complaints about him from me. Sweet as pie, and really loves the children. However, Scrooge and Marley's was where he landed, God bless him. Marley was the worst, by the way. It was no wonder the devil took him first. Although, actually, now that I think about it, it was hard to tell. Maybe Mr. Jacob was always so flamboyant that it covered up how mean Mr. Ebenezer really was. Marley was in-your-face evil. Scrooge was lurking evil. The two of them together ran off every decent clerk they ever had until Bob came along. And when Mr. Jacob died in agony from that awful food poisoning, did Mr. Ebenezer recognise Bob's gifts and implore him to become the next partner in the firm? No. He just let Marley's chair sit empty and took the profit shares all for himself. I blush to say it, but in my weaker moments, I suggested that Bob sneak home an extra lump of coal or two from work. "'But he wouldn't hear of it, thank goodness. "'St. Bob. "'Besides,' he said, "'he counts them, he does. "'He'd miss one if I nicked a crumb "'and that would be the sack for me for sure. "'He what?' I said. "'The lumps of coal, he counts them, "'right down to the dust. "'He keeps the officers cold enough "'to store meat in them in winter, "'but he knows exactly how many lumps of coal "'are in the chute at any given time. "'If you hadn't knitted me my sweaters, my love... I would long ago have keeled over like a frozen cod right at my desk. Thanks. And then he kisses me. Honest Saint Bob. Well, it was the blessed day what changed all that. We call it that here in Castle Cratchit. It was the Christmas day ten years ago when Mr. Scrooge had his great epiphany or dance with the devil or whatever you call it. We were so grateful to have Bob home for Christmas Day that we weren't even minding the leftover porridge and the bean and barley soup and we'd been having for meals. It was good to be a family, warm, happy, and waiting impatiently to give the presents that we had made for each other. It had not been long after we returned from church that there was a knock at the door and a large man with a huge parcel asked if we were the Bob Cratchits. We all says Bob. And the man comes right into the house brisk as you please. He puts the package in the kitchen and says, Right, well, that's all sorted then. Merry Christmas all And he skips right back out the bleeping door and into a waiting cab before any of us can object. We tore open the parcel and found the biggest turkey that I'd ever laid eyes upon, much less purchased for a Christmas dinner feast. It had come with all the trimmings, stuffin' and vegetables, sauce, mushrooms and spiced flour for the gravy. We barely got it into the cooker, dousing it with cooking wine and herbs. I can still remember how it smelled, and dear lord, the taste! That bird was the gift that kept on giving. <laughs> We ate for days on the turkey and leftovers from that delightful Christmas meal. We felt truly blessed, not even knowing who our benefactor could possibly be. You want to know about the power of redemption and repentance? That bird was the first of many recompenses from the new-made heart of Mr. E. Scrooge Esquire. We were thoroughly gobsmacked when we learnt who sent the turkey. And that memory is not at all diminished by the remembrance of the next day, Boxing Day, when Bob had to be at work bright and early. Oh dear, he cried, I'm late. I'll be behind my arrival time at work, and you just know Mr. Scrooge will be there with one eye on his pocket watch. I feel as if it's partially my fault, I said. I kept you up late last night, but wasn't it worth it? <laughs> He blushed, he did. I didn't know it was still possible, but there it was. Bob and I had given each other our Christmas... gifts. Late after the children had all finally settled down for the night. Anyways, Bob was late and was fully expecting to catch it from Mr. Scrooge. I said a quick prayer that he wouldn't be given his papers. Or if he got them, he'd soon be on to a better situation. "'That's the way one does at Christmas. "'You have to find the good, don't you? "'Here's what happened, though. "'Bob arrives late and tries to slip in behind the disc "'as quietly as you please. "'Hello!' growled Scrooge. "'What do you mean by coming here at this time of day?' "'I'm very sorry, sir,' says Bob. "'I'm behind my time.' "'You are?' repeats Scrooge. "'Yes, I think you are.' Step this way, sir, if you please. It's only once a year, sir, pleads Bob. It shall not be repeated, meaning being late, you know, not the other, you know. I was making rather merry yesterday, sir, which was as close to being cheeky as St. Bob ever got. (laughs) Now I'll tell you what, my friend, said Scrooge. I am not going to stand this sort of thing any longer. And therefore, he bellows leaping from his stool and giving Bob such a dig in the waistcoat that he staggered back onto his desk. And therefore, I am about to raise your salary. Dear Bob had a hold of his ruler then and briefly considered knocking Scrooge down with it. "'and holding him until the jacket squad could come and collect him. "'Ha, ha, 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 Merry Christmas, Bob,' said Scrooge with an earnestness "'that could not be mistaken as he clapped him on the back. "'A merrier Christmas, Bob, my good fellow, than I have given you for many a year. "'I'll raise your salary and endeavour to assist your struggling family,' And we will discuss your affairs this very afternoon over a Christmas bowl of smoking bishop, Bob. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all, and infinitely more. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as London ever knew. And of all people, all people mind, he knew how to keep Christmas well. As much as any man alive who possessed the knowledge... I hope, I pray, that that may be truly said of all of us. The children. Oh, the children. Once they knew that Scrooge wasn't a dangerous madman, the children all grew to love him like a real uncle. And I like to think that Uncle Scrooge found a warm place in our home as a member of the family. He was especially dear to Tim. If it wasn't for Mr Scrooge taking an interest... Who knows what would have happened. Oh, dear me, I'm misting up in spite of myself. (laughs) Oh, my. Anyways, I hope you all enjoy your holidays. And I dearly, sincerely hope that you, everyone here tonight, gets thoroughly scrooged this Christmas. Just like we did ten years ago. Bye-bye. Ta.
4: Thank you, Mrs. Cratchit. The day of Uncle's epiphany was certainly remarkable. It baffled most people. Yes, I see some of you nodding your heads. It's quite all right to laugh. It was such a complete and genuine conversion that the laughter of joy and amazement landed on the faces of almost everyone who was there that Christmas day. And one of the first people to see Uncle that very morning was our next speaker, Mr. Arthur Dodger. Please tell us about your auspicious first encounter with Uncle Scrooge, won't you?
6: I was just lucky, I guess, for me to be there at that big moment. Since that Christmas our paths crossed, he was ever good to me. But before that, the first years I'd seen him, he looked at me like I was something you'd scrape off your boot before you went into the house. But then one Christmas morning, about ten years ago when I was a wee lad, everything was different. I was strolling down Scrooge's street in me Sunday clothes heading to church, my parents being their usual late selves far behind me. I was tired and yawning from the night shift at the post office, catching rats mostly, and I took my usual route past Mr Scrooge's dingy big house. When he throws up his window and barks at me from the first floor, "'What's today?' "'Huh?' I says, wondering who he's talking to. "'What's today, my fine fellow?' he says. "'Fellow?' I thinks to myself. "'What's he been drinking this early on a Sunday morning?' "'But then I realised I was dressed in trousers and overcoat on account of the weather. "'Who knows? Maybe he didn't have his spectacles handy. "'So I thought I'd be charitable to the old geezer and said, "'Today?' Why, Christmas Day! I'm looking up at him, and I see he's in his cap and nightshirt, looking as wild as if he'd spent the night playing tennis with bats. He starts muttering and gibbering to himself. So I thinks it's a good idea to keep heading churchward. Don't want contagious madness falling over me on Christmas, eh? Then he says, Do you know the Poulter's in the next street but one at the corner? Was this a trick question, I asked myself. But then I says, I should hope I did. And he still keeps talking to me and jabbering to himself. An intelligent boy. A remarkable boy. Do you know whether they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging up there? Not the little prize turkey. The big one. What, the one as big as me? Ah, remember, I was a half-starved little un back then. But he master carries on. What a delightful boy. It's a pleasure to talk to him. Yes, my dear boy, he says. It's hanging there now. Is it? The daft geezer says. Then go and buy it. Well, that just about set me off. What's his game playing with poor folk like that? It's an insult, it is. We could no more afford that bird than we could sprout wings and lay eggs. So I says to him, Well, this is a family gathering, so I won't repeat what I said. But Scrooge then says to me, No, no, I'm in earnest. Go and buy it. And tell him to bring it here, that I may give them directions for where to take it. Come back with the man and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes, and I mean to give you a half crown. God in heaven, you didn't need to tell me twice with that kind of money on offer. So I sprinted up to Jeff's and told him that old Scrooge had lost his mind and was buying his prized turkey. No questions as to the price, so leg it over quickly to his house and get the cash before he comes to his senses. I knew Jeff was in his shop because I'd passed it every day, wishing upon wishes we could have a Christmas dinner like that bird with all the trimmings. You didn't have to tell Jeff twice, neither. We leg it as fast as we can to Scrooge's, and sure enough, we get to his house, and he's still in his night garb, looking every bit the bats were still swarming round his head. He greets us at his door with a, Whoa, how are you? Merry Christmas. He's chuckling like a maniac. But true to his word, he pays us both. Half a crown to me, and a fiver for Jeff. Plus, he says, Why, it's impossible to carry that to Camden Town. You must have a cab. And as quick as Bob's your uncle, he pays a cab to take Jeff to some place in Camden Town and back. Doesn't even keep the bird for himself. If I hadn't seen it, I wouldn't have believed it. The wheezy bugger blathers out his window, not even knowing what day it was, buys the biggest turkey I've ever seen for dinner and then ships it off to God knows who in Camden Town. I was thinking of going by Scrooges after church to see what else he might hire me to do. Get the butchers to send ears to Parliament. (laughs) Now, I suspected he'd been up all night drinking the furniture polish. Because no one would credit that bloody geezer Scrooge would cape around in his nightshirt and buy prized turkeys that he didn't intend to eat. Generosity. Charitable spirit. Don't make me laugh. Them's hardly the words you'd pin on Scrooge. Dirty tricks. Now that's more like it. Mind you, this is the same cantankerous old buzzard that didn't give a tinker's cuss about working people on the street, didn't even acknowledge their existence. And now it's like I'm one of the family. Oh, he remembered me all right. He became like a distant uncle I'd never had. Suddenly returned home from the sea or a foreign war or something. If I was ever in need, all I had to do was call on him in his office and offer to do a bit of work and there'd be a shilling or two in it for me. Or Mr. Cratchit here. He's as good as Mr. Scrooge when it comes to that. Messenger jobs, bit of cleaning or fetching. I don't mind. I even got clever with counting and figures hoping maybe there'd be a permanent situation there for me. But I still bless the day I ran beneath Scrooge's window that Christmas morning. You see, he made a real difference in the end with how he lived. Some of you weren't there, of course, but you should have seen how many people turned out at the church for his wake and visitation. You'd think the Prime Minister was being buried, such a crowd pressed into the church. Not any of our recent Prime Ministers, of course. Which is funny, because he would remember from time to time that he dreamed of being buried in a forlorn and forgotten churchyard, with a pitiful slate headstone, surrounded by weeds as the only marker of who he was. Not that he felt that he needed to be mourned. He said all his goodbyes while he was still with us. He remembered his friends in his will, but gave most of his fortune to the aid societies and widows and orphans, the students at the ragged schools. But in the end, you see, he was only one man. I won't belittle what he did do, but it wasn't enough to bring any of us up to Belgrave Square. Don't know what I'd do if I lived up there, so it's not something I've thought about too much. Jesus once said that there would be poor always, which is a little bleak if you grow up in my house, but maybe we should still help where we can and leave the rest to providence, I suppose. Mind you, me and my folks aren't starving, but for real charity to take hold, there needs always to be jobs what pay a living wage, eh? Can't trust the government for handouts. Nor would we want to. It's working what gives a person the steam to carry on. But is it fair to ask a person to work two, three, sometimes even four jobs just to keep current with the rent? To put food on the table and coal in the scuttle in winter? Hard times, right? Gets hard to live when you have to keep running from job to job. Meanwhile, one can't help but notice the fine clothes and trappings Of them as go into offices and do Lord knows what all day without putting their backs into the labour that builds cities like this. Perhaps I am missing something. Different jobs have different values, yeah. And every man is worth his salt if he's an honest worker. But wouldn't you think by now, the year of our Lord, 1853, we'd have a better system for everyone where the wealth of a nation ends poverty for good. I'm off now. But think about a couple of things as I go. I know that I've been thinking about this for a while. No offence to Mr. Scrooge and all he's done for me, God rest his soul. But aren't we at the point where we don't really need more successful people groping and grasping and piling up fortunes on the back of others? Don't we need instead healers, peacemakers, lovers and storytellers? I'm a churchgoer, I admit. So don't laugh too hard at me when I say that in a Christian nation such as our dear old England, it might be a good idea for folks to pay more mind to what the Beatitudes say. And if we truly keep Christmas in our hearts every day, like Mr. Scrooge did, (laughs) better late than never, huh? Then we can rest easy knowing that we've done a good turn at life. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over few things. I will make you master over many. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Oh, and God bless the Royal Mail. Thank you, Turkey Boy. Oh,
4: and by the way, congratulations are in order, I believe, on your recent appointment to the Royal Mail
6: Service. Ta, thanks very much, Mr. Fred. It's a good start, and I'm grateful to give it a go. Delivering parcels is a step up from killing rats, but, you know, hard times, eh? Yes, yes, indeed. We'll see it through, God willing. Amen.
4: Well, after the Christmas Day visitations, dear Uncle Scrooge had more surprises in store for us. We were carrying on the celebrations the next day, Boxing Day, when Uncle sent a messenger to my house to come meet him at his house. An invitation. Who would have believed it? A few folk had already gathered on his stoop by the time I had arrived. Bob Cratchit was there, I was glad to see, and even his housekeeper, Mrs. Dilber. We followed him around the rest of the morning just to witness the miracle. He wished everyone a good day and a happy Christmas, and said that he was so glad to be out of the office while other businesses were still open. He'd bought Mrs. Dilber a new gown that was suitable for a regal ball, and a fine new heavy overcoat with gloves and a top hat for Bob Cratchit, And bless my soul, a new wallet and a gorgeous walking stick for me. We were all lunching at the Savoy and earning curious looks from the patrons. Well, we were a rather interesting circus of folk, after all, when Uncle touched me on the arm and told me he'd like a private word when the meal was concluded. we toddled out of the dining room mid-afternoon with much shaking of hands and a thousand thanks, Mr. Scrooge, and all of that. We hip parade him merrily as he whoop-whooped the rest of them into cabs and took me by the arm, saying, "'Walk with me, dear nephew.' I wanted nothing else at that moment. I had no idea what to say further, but I was content just to be with the dear old man and to listen closely if he chose to speak. And speak he did. It was not the number of words that caused my eyes to water, "'but the feeling which he gave them. "'My boy,' he began, "'I am sorry that I have almost wasted my life. "'Almost,' I said, (laughs) "'instantly regretting the witticism. "'What was I thinking? "'Would I undo in a moment "'what must have taken a lifetime for him to realize? "'Cursing my cleverness, "'I was in the act of apologizing when he cut me off. "'Aha! Well said, Fred,' You have every right to chastise me for the way I have treated your generosity and hospitality all these years past. Yes, indeed. I have been an abominable bore and killjoy ever since your dear mother passed on. Yes, and for many years before that, too. I was speechless. He pressed on, visibly moved by what he was about to say. You see, my boy... Uh, I beg your pardon. You see, I loved my sister more than my own life. She was the only thing in this world I cherished more than wealth and status. Fan was so precious to me that all the spark seemed to disappear in me when she died. Far too young. Far too young. I never got over it, no, not even to this day. Yes, do believe that is true. You may know from her that I once considered betrothal to a sweet young woman. Belle was her name, but never thought myself worthy until I could provide a suitable situation for a family. That became my excuse, as I sought to insulate myself from the disagreeable world your mother and I grew up in. I became more enamored of all that money can buy, and I swore that I would free us from father's influence once and for all. I had known that mother and uncle had had a difficult time at home as children, and neither one of them spoke much about my grandfather. Time carried on, of course, he continued, and soon I was enraptured by gain and taking advantage. Bell. Left me early, of course. Clever, perceptive, lovely-hearted Belle. Something I would never permit now, by God. And before I was able to be a well-heeled, prosperous, a man of means, Van was suddenly gone. There was nothing I could do for her. Excuse me for a moment. Tears from Uncle Scrooge. "'Couldn't believe what I was seeing. "'You have always been a capable lad,' he went on, "'after he had recovered himself. "'But I resented you for reasons you cannot understand. "'You are handy, however, and unforgivably "'I took out my anger and despair on you. "'My own blood, who should have been "'one of the dearest fellows to my bosom, "'seeing as I never opened my heart enough "'to have a family of my own, is shameful.' Just shameful, Fred. Dear boy, if it is not too late for me to find a place in your seemingly limitless affections, would you consent to be my rightful heir? I should warn you that there will not be much of an estate at my funeral. I intend to use the fortune I have amassed for the public good and for the welfare of those nearest and dearest to me. I was gaping, I realized. Still speechless, I tried to stammer a response, but he chuckled and said, I know this is hard to grasp. I am giddy myself. But the spreading of cheer and charity has made me happier than I can ever remember being. Think of it, Fred, he cried, grabbing both of my arms and shaking me with enthusiasm. Think of all the good we can do and the lives we can touch. ''We,'' he was saying. ''We,'' I replied. ''Yes, you and I together. We can search out where we can do the most good and work together to bring some comfort to those struggling to stay warm and fed. Of course, I must continue in my business. There are employees to think about and households to support. But now I can see clearly where those profits can go.'' instead of into vaults where moth and rust doth corrupt. Will you help me, dear boy? It gives me great joy to see how successful you have become all on your own initiative. No, beggar, nephew, you, eh? (laughs) No, sir, not for you. Instead, you should be my partner in charity. You show me the need, and we'll build an answer for every question. I never noted the distance we had traveled, but before I knew it, we had walked the whole way to Uncle's house. I hadn't said above a dozen words, and even as we parted, he took the last. But I wish to thank you for the greatest gift you have given me, nephew. I could have been knocked over with a feather waiting for him to continue. I will never be able to repay this gift, I know. But at least... I can tell you face to face how it has changed me. You never gave up on me. Lord knows why I would have. I'm not as strong as you are, but you never gave up on me in spite of all the bile and rancor I returned in response to your generosity. You never failed to welcome me into your life, regardless of every conceivable rejection. You never let me forget the duty of family and my abject failure in knowing what that means. You are the most persistent, intractable, relentless, and (laughs) warm-hearted young man an uncle could ever hope to have. You win, Fred, you win. I cannot remain angry and hateful of life when there are people like you in the world. Will you forgive me? I would dearly love to start again and find the joy that has been absent from my life for far too long. I had no words. All I could do was take him in my arms and hold him. Scrooge, the man who hated to be touched, he hugged me back with fervor and shook with sobs as we just stood there on his stoop, with the snow falling gently down on us.
2: Mr. Fred? Yes? Ah, Mrs. Fezziwig. Yes, love. I've noticed that no one has partaken of the buffet, and I was wondering if a brief respite might be in order. Oh, well, perhaps. Uh, Yes, we could. No, 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 don't trouble yourself, dear. I, I... I'll just bring the mountain to Mohammed, shall I? (laughs) Yes, yes, I think that's the way.
4: All right, then. For those of you who haven't had the pleasure, I'd like to introduce Mrs. Fezziwig, caterer extraordinaire and the wife of Uncle Scrooge's first employer.
2: Bring me other trolley, Carrie. I can't cart all of this lot in by hand. Have you seen how many of them showed up?
4: Mr. Fezziwig's firm was where Uncle Scrooge did his apprenticeship, And as you may guess, the motto there was work hard, play hard. It was also where Uncle first fell in love. In many ways, it was a very formative appointment. But sadly, it was also the time when the sorrows of his family life turned him sour and sent him on a long journey of bitterness.
2: No, not that plonk. That will knock him out. Bring out the soft drinks first. And let's offset the melancholy a bit. Then we'll see if they'll want something stronger. I'm going back in with the nibbles.
4: Perhaps this would be an excellent time to hear about Uncle's earlier years. I know Belle has come quite a ways to pay her respects to Uncle Scrooge. And so... <laughs> it appears Ruby will be graced with Mrs. Fezziwig's observations first. Madam, would you care to share what you knew of Uncle in his youth?
2: Oh, well, (laughs) I didn't mean to rumble the whole ceremony, but I wanted to be sure that we could all keep our spirits up. (laughs) Here, you look a little peckish. Tuck in. They aren't getting any fresher, you know. Hey, uh, do you want some of that over there? Uh,
4: Mrs. Fezziwig? Uh, Yes? Would you care to take the lectern and share your thoughts about Uncle Scrooge?
2: Oh, no, thank you. No? Well, these old d'oeuvres are not going to serve themselves. Oh, I know. Why don't you ask me some questions about dear Ebenezer while we nosh? I must confess that I haven't prepared anything specific for tonight with regards to speeches, that is. <laughs> we have plenty of food. Carrie, you might as well serve up all the rest of that plonk. I see a few out here that could really use a stiff belt.
4: All right then, what was Uncle like during the time he was your late husband's apprentice?
2: Ah, uh, blast the luck! <coughs> For almost fifty years, Mister Fezziwig and I have hosted a Christmas party that, well, it's become something of a local legend. And though I loved Ebenezer Scrooge like a son. I find it highly inconvenient that he died this week and had his memorial on this particular day. But we women of a certain age are resourceful and resolute. I shall not allow something as trivial as death to interfere with tradition and celebrating the birth of baby Jesus. No, no, leave off the brandy. Put it down, lad. There's nothing wrong with it and you don't need to sample any more of it. My solution was, if I can't leave the Fezziwig Christmas party to attend the memorial for Scrooge, I'll bring the party to the memorial. If you're quick about it, there's Brandy and Punch over on the buffet. But don't dally. Carrie can't seem to keep a cork in it, apparently. In addition to the country reel and the mummer's waltz, we dance all of the most popular jigs, reels and waltzes and newfangled gyrations that the young ones are all buzz about. <laughs> but we always finish with the so-roger to close out the festivities. Yes, nothing says Merry Christmas like a good rogering. By the way, now that we're all here, don't stint. Carrie and I have been cooking all day. The dancing will start in an hour, after everyone has had some drinks and a bite to eat. Ah, oh, bless me, but I love the end-of-the-year holidays. Can't get enough of them. The festive decorations, the parties, the tradition. December is one mad rush at the fezzy Weeks. And, of course, when you swing both ways, there's so much more to do. <laughs> Isn't that right, love? <laughs> yes, 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 that's right. We celebrate Christmas and Hanukkah at Shea Fezzi Week. Mixed marriage, you know. Fezzi is a nominal Christian, and I am a full-fledged, rosofty Jewish belle of the ball. <laughs> and I'll be dancing with you later on, too, bubby. <laughs> <Well, clears throat> but first, I need to catch my breath for a bit. Let me give you some advice and be very, very, very careful about mixed marriages and know just how much of a pickle you are getting yourself into. Oh, don't get me wrong. I love my husband. (laughs) God rest his demented soul. That crazy old Christian lit me up like the Crystal Palace on a sunny day, if you get my meaning, even after all these years. But we've done over 60 Hanukkahs and Christmases now, back to back, and I'm not as spry as I used to be. I mean, it seems like I was just getting the menorah polished and put away when I had to turn around and cram a star on top of the scotch pine the mister dragged in from God knows where, dropping snow and soot all over the drawing room floor. (laughs) Thank heavens he's such a good partner. We're like... Two peas and a codpiece, we were. We found that the secret to a long, happy marriage is a quiet, romantic dinner with just a hint of flirtation twice a week. He went on Tuesdays, <laughs> I went on Thursdays. <laughs> Joking, of course. Oh, Fezzi was a real peach, you know. Wonderful man. And men like him don't grow on trees these days, no, no. Usually, they're swinging from them. (laughs) But that dear old sot loved me truly, and he was great with the children and his apprentices. Could I complain? Yes, and I have. (laughs) But I keep in mind the bigger picture. When you express gratitude, you must go all in. Ebenezer finally understood that. It took him long enough. Slow learner, dear boy. Even after all the examples of holiday excess he shared at our parties. He saw the fabulosity, but missed the point on what it was all about. That's my view. Don't get so caught up in the celebrations that you forget the reason for the season. Family. No matter the differences, politics, religion, social status, and other nonsense, we all need time to detach from the world and look at each other. Really listen to each other and cherish what is good about them. The world lashes us all year with our faults and failures. Holy days... Are the balm, if you will. The antidote. (laughs) Next year, I think I shall let it all hang out. Menorahs, candles, mistletoe. (laughs) You like that, wouldn't you too, Sonny Jim? (laughs) Just let all the gratitude and happiness mix together. (laughs) I may even ask the druids to have me over for the solstice celebration. Happy, happy, merry, merry. But but go easy on the Mary. The world is already populated well enough. Yes, and I'm looking at you over there, Roger McRandy boy. Right, come on, Carrie. Let's go over to the great room and get everything set up for these nice people while they pay their last respects to dear old Ebenezer. And don't forget the figgy pudding. I've been marinating it for weeks. If you want to know more about Ebby, You should let me get back to the parlor and have Belle come up and talk about their torrid love affair. Oh, yes. The children were so cute. They had no idea they were so obvious. Of course, Mr. Fezziwig and I were aware of everything that went on in and outside of the shop. But we were never ones to stand in the way of true love. Oh, no, not us. (laughs) I remember saying to him at the time... Fez, <laughs> you have to let true love have its spring. You know, you bottle it up and you go on like that.
7: It appears that I should set the record straight here a bit, hm? I once knew a lovely lad with a curious name, Ebenezer. Not a bad sort, but very introverted. Probably because he had to endure the taunts of Ebenezer Bloody Giza. Or Evasneza, or heaven knows what else. Kids are merciless, especially in this world. I was just finishing school in those days and very impressionable. To be fair, Ebenezer was very charming, in a sheltered, mama's boy, overly mannered sort of way. No trace of the bad boy or pirate there. Now that would be quite funny, you know, the dread pirate Ebenezer hardly the sort of name that inspires fear in the British Navy, but I must say that I truly loved Ebenezer Scrooge. It did seem a bit awkward at first talking to him because he had no nickname. One had to address him as Ebenezer all the time, which helped to preserve the distance and reserve in the relationship. My name has always been simple, Belle, it's not short for anything, but it sounds a bit like a pet name, or another more intimate label. It means beautiful. And I'll thank my parents forever for that particular gift. Even at this advanced age, I have been told I still have it. Bell by name, Bell by Nature. Vanity. Ah, oh, well, it comes with success, I suppose. It is forgivable when you're in your 70s, I hope so. But enough about me. Ebenezer's recent passing has left a bit of a void in my life. We never carried our relationship past what once it was when we were young. I left him in practical terms, but it was he who left me for an idol of gold. We became aware of each other through Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig, when Ebenezer first came to apprentice in Mr. Fezziwig's accounting firm and warehouse. I was a mere village girl who did some part-time work there, though I enjoyed school and was very dedicated to it. Ebenezer was the cleverest of all of Mr. Fezziwig's apprentices. He could do large sums and equations in his head, and he had an uncanny focus where business was concerned. He was rather handsome as well, in a "'stoic, measured sort of way. "'I liked the fact that he never went out of his way to impress me "'as some of the other apprentices did. "'He simply did what he thought best. "'And I thought to myself, "'There's a young man that knows himself, "'knows what he wants, "'and has the brains and diligence to be a success. "'Naturally, I set my hat for him.' I mean, why wouldn't I? It wasn't as if I would be going into business or starting a career of my own. Most women really didn't pursue careers in my day. I knew my best prospect for happiness was to be a loving mother and a capable wife to a successful husband. With both our efforts, at home and at large, we would thrive and be happy. However, I think I would have made a good travel consultant if that had been an option, I read a lot of books set in places other than England. As we got to know each other, I realized that I would never find that space in Scrooge's heart. It would be too full of ambition. Once he completed his apprenticeship to Mr. Fuzzywig, he would set out on his own, to the City of London, and set up his own counting house for the big financiers of our industrial capital. Would there be a place for me, I once asked him coyly. "'Oh, Belle, that's so much to consider,' he hedged. "'You know, starting out, I will have to be very careful with expenses. "'I very much doubt I will be living anywhere near luxury. "'You wouldn't like that, would you?' "'I would be happy wherever there was a husband who truly loved me,' I replied, "'and who loved children. "'I don't need a stately home and servants, "'just the comforts of family and a roof that doesn't leak.' He chuckled at that. The place where Ebenezer slept at the Fuzzywigs had a leaky spot on the roof, and if rain was fierce, he'd have to move his pallet around at night to stay dry. Dearest Belle, he said, I should take you and wrap you up right now and bring you with me to the city. I flushed. Could it be happening so suddenly? I was not sure I was ready, though I had given it much thought, to what I might say if Ebenezer asked me for my hand. But I cannot, he continued. And all the light seemed to go out of the room. I must first be worthy of your love. I come from difficult means and a broken family situation. My mother, she, well, father had me bored at school, a thoroughly horrible place. Run down, harsh, depressing. I spent too many Christmases there alone while the other boys went home for the holidays. Even when my little sister Fan came to collect me one year, it was only slightly better. Father and I never got along. He stopped at that point, and I realized that I had never known much about him before he came to Fezziwig's. More years went by until Scrooge was finally in business for himself, but our relationship never grew. On the contrary, it withered a little more each month, to the point that soon after my mother died, I knew it was over. I felt I needed to tell him as much. To you it matters very little, but I can see that another idol has displaced me. If it can cheer and comfort you in time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve over what might have been. What idol has displaced you, he said? A golden one. Oh, that, he retorted. The world is hard on poverty, yet there is nothing it professes to condemn with as much severity as the pursuit of wealth. You fear the world too much, I said. All your hopes have merged into one hope of being beyond the world's sordid reproach. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one until the master passion gain engrosses you, have I not? What then, he retorted. Even if I have grown so much wiser, I am not changed in my affections towards you. I said nothing, merely shook my head. "'Am I?' he asked. "'Our contract was an old one,' I said. "'It was made when we were both poor and content to be so "'until our industry might improve our worldly fortunes. "'But you are changed. "'Back then you were another man.' "'I was a boy. "'The change in you is an altered spirit, "'not one of wisdom, but conformity to the God of success.' I have thought about this many times and how I must say that I can release you. Scrooge was struck. Have I ever sought release? In words, no. But tell me this. If we had not had this old agreement, would you still seek out a dowerless girl of low birth? If you won her, would you not soon regret the choice? as you advance through society weighing your actions and my person in the scale of gain, I already know the answer to this, and I release you with a full heart for the love of him you once were. I hope for your conscience' sake that you take some pain from this. I am not cruel, for I know that a very brief time will pass and you will dismiss the recollection of this conversation gladly as an unprofitable dream from which you awoke with relief. May you be happy in the life you have chosen. Those were pretty much the last words I spoke to Ebenezer. I heard of his great redemption, of course, and was glad he finally freed himself from the chains that were crushing his heart. But I never felt the need to stay in touch with him, for I too was glad of the release. I know my place and purpose. The man who joined with me to find our worldly fortune together was not Ebenezer Scrooge. No, he was a kinder man, an enlightened man who saw happiness as a shared struggle and an equal partnership. I have loved him for all these years and would do it all over again if given the chance. From our many wonderful children, we were blessed with many wonderful grandchildren And while it wasn't easy, it has been, in fact, noisy and messy, raucous, chaotic, and exhausting. I wouldn't want anything else. But I have to thank Ebenezer nonetheless. He showed me the picture of the hell that might have been if I had become Mrs. Scrooge and taught me to cherish all that is worthy rather than all that is wealthy. I am so grateful to know that In the end, before it was too late, Ebenezer, lovely Giza, knew to cherish it too.
8: Oh, if that isn't just about the saddest thing I've ever heard. I never knew that. What a pity. Oh, dear, Mr. Scrooge. Dear, dear, dear. My old gran was fond of saying, well, you know, you can't take it with you. It was easy for her and us. We never had much in the first place. You come from nothing, you go on with nothing. And that's exactly what I've learned from working for Mr. Scrooge. All that money he had, all the privileges he might want, and what good is it doing him now? He traded a fine townhouse for an oaken casket, and nearly nothing from his life went into it with him when he died. But, to his credit, he learned the truth of it ten years ago on that miraculous Christmas day, One day, he's a miserable old miser, eating cold soup and porridge in a dark, drafty house. And the next, he's as happy as Larry, throwing money and favors round like King Midas on a spendin' holiday. Here I'd worked for him for, Lord, it seems like forever, and was never convinced that he even knew my name half the time. It, It was, hear you, or hey. One might have thought my name was, hey you, the way he used to carry on. Don't know why I bothered, except that he did pay wages on time, and was no more abusive than most employers, better than a few, I spect. But the change in him that Christmas morning ten years ago was something to behold, it was. I had the day off, without pay, of course, because I'd asked for it to be home to cook for my ma'am, and the rest of the family. I didn't think of him that blessed day, so thankful I was to be in a place of warmth and cheer and love. Oh, we had such a lovely time and went to bed late because we didn't want to see the end of Christmas Day. Uh, Boxing Day, of course, I had to be back on the job. Though how much of a mess one man could make in his own house when he didn't even celebrate the holiday made me wonder why he didn't just let me stay home then as well. But as I'd had no word to the contrary, I rushed to get to Mr. Scrooge's house so as not to be too late. Him being a stickler for punctuality and all. Up I come, only to find the servant's entrance locked and bolted. Oh, dear, I says to myself, this can't be good. So I run round to the front, knowing that it would cause even more of a stir. Late to work, coming in the front door, only to find it locked up tight as well. No candles burning inside, no sign of life. Oh, I think he's fallen off of his perch and no one can get in to see him. It was a desperate situation, let me tell you. I was so frightened for Mr. Scrooge's well-being that I strolled up the street to the cafe and had a nice quiet pot of tea with scone and strawberry jam. (laughs) I kept looking down the street every once in a while to monitor the progress, expecting any moment for the coroner and the meat wagon to show up and sort out the carcass of Master Ebenezer the Skinflint. I was on such pins and needles that I got up "'stretched, and ordered another pot of tea and scones. "'A manic concern for my employer animated my whole being "'as I chatted amiably with the lorry driver "'who was soon off to Southampton with a load of throw rugs. Uh, "'Sorry, love, did I drip any of my sarcasm on you there? "'Hard to control sometimes, "'especially when reminiscing about Mr. Scrooge "'and the way he used to be. "'But let me tell you what happened.' What I still can't reckon now, ten years after the event. I'm sitting in the cafe, about to go home for a nice, well-earned lie-down, when I see Mr. Scrooge and some of the other well-to-do folk coming up to his door and go inside, as merry as a circus troupe. What's all this then, I wondered. I'd better get down there, spit-spot, and have a look. Well, I come up to the front door, which is still standing wide open, mind you, "'and take a peek inside to see Mr. Scrooge in the middle of the parlor "'be in the life of the party that had obviously started the day before "'and was carrying on through Boxing Day. "'His nephew, Mr. Fred, was there with his wife, "'some others who might have been relations for all I knew, "'and a couple of tradesmen following behind, "'apparently taking orders for goods to be delivered. "'I, I thought I was dreaming. "'Pinch me, I thought. "'The dear buzzard has gone off his trolley.' "'and that was when he noticed me standing in the doorway. "'Mrs. Dilber,' he shouts, making me jump, "'come in here at once and close the door behind you.' "'Oh, dear,' I think to myself, "'I'm in for it now, late, lurking at the front door "'and no excuse that could be considered reasonable, "'except for being locked out. "'I just hoped that he wouldn't shame me too badly "'in front of his friends and relations. "'Yes, sir,' I said, approaching. "'Yes, sir. Uh, Very good, Mr. Scrooge, sir.' This woman, he bellows, and I thinks, Right, now I'm in for it. Reprimands for everyone to hear. Hmm, I wonder if they need any housekeepers down in Chelsea. This woman, he repeats, has been in my employ for, well, it seems like forever. And now she's sacked and out in the streets, I'm hearing him say in my head. And I have been the most miserable, parsimonious, unforgiving, and uncompassionate employer since Caligula. Well... I don't know what parsimonious means, though he probably deserved it. And Caligula could be the chief jailer in the Tower of London, for all I knew. But it was starting to sound so un Scrooge-like that I-, I waited breathlessly, with my mouth hanging open for the rest of it. "'That's all in the past now, my good woman,' he says. "'Tomorrow I want you to fill this house with food and drink.' because I plan to feast my friends and family from now to the Feast of the Epiphany. I was in shock. He saw it, too. I'm perfectly serious, madam, he says. "For, For too long, I've kept this household in darkness to save on coal and candles. I've treated you far below your worth, considering what you do for me every week. And I have been given the chance by heaven to set that right. So, then... He starts rattling off all the changes he planned to make and set about writing up a grocery list and other orders for the tradesmen. We all walked round his house, taking note of things that needed to go and things that needed to come in. And, well, it quite took my breath away. But the greatest shock was still yet to come from him. He says, "'And with the change to this household,' A new house of light and merriment. I shall need extra staff, beginning with your sister, if she would be so kind as to take up the appointment. Now here's the thing. I'd been asking him for months to take my sister on as a cook and dishwasher after her husband had passed on suddenly. She was not able to keep body and soul together with what he'd left her. I thought my words were falling on deaf ears, as he rarely made me the courtesy of a response. But now... You, my dear, he says, have suffered enough, and shall no longer do so at my hands. He says this, pulling out a fat purse of coins from his frock coat pocket. I will also ask you to take yourself off as soon as conveniently possible. Here it comes, I thought, a quick payoff and a swift boot to unemployment. To the dressmakers, he says, Lady Colette's in the Strand to buy a new Christmas gown for you and for your sweet sister. We will ring in the new year in our finery and talk at length about what we shall do to make this house a home of love and charity. Consider that purse a down payment on wages that I have owed you for many years and a small token of kindness that must, unfortunately, be paid up in arrears. And with that he wrapped me in his arms, hugged me tight, and kissed me square in the forehead. "'I fainted. I confess it. It was too much. "'When I woke, I was on the couch with Mr. Fred standing over me with a cool cloth, dabbing my forehead. "'Scrooge was dancing a lunatic jig in the parlor, and Mrs. Fred was bringing me a cup of tea. "'I cried, looked at Mr. Scrooge, who smiled at me, then cried some more, "'and couldn't stop crying for most of the rest of the day. (laughs) "'Of course I did no work that boxing day. "'I was one of the party.' which eventually left the house and moved on through London to the homes and businesses of Mr. Scrooge's acquaintances like, well, like a mad circus that brought cheer and astonishment everywhere it went. At the end of it all, when we were God knows where and thoroughly soused to the gills, someone said, A toast, a toast to Mr. Ebenezer Scrooge, philanthropist, good fellow, and former miser. May he live forever in our hearts, And God bless now and hereafter. That was met by a mighty and enthusiastic hear, hear by all. Even me, who hours earlier had been cursing his mean dark soul. It just goes to show that, really, you can't take it with you, so why bother? Doesn't the good book say that we are known by our fruits? And it doesn't matter how late you come to the party... "'You can always help with the harvest of love and good deeds "'and what else? Maybe redemption, I suppose. "'So rest in peace, Mr. Scrooge. "'I never loved you much until that day. "'Not because you gave me gifts or helped my family "'or turned into a pleasant chap. "'No, what mattered to me most "'is that after all those years, "'I realized you valued my service.' And you did. In fact, know my name.
1: Oh, oh, he's here! He's here!
2: Who is? Oh, oh, I'm so glad he could make it. Someone of his famous stature, you know. It's hard to get away. Carrie! Carrie! We're going to need something put together for him. Post haste! Come on!
9: Hello! Hello, nice to see you. How's it been? All right, eh? Good. <laughs> good. Ah, thank you for coming. Would have done Uncle Proud to see all the folk who turned turn out for the funeral and said such nice words and such. Hey, can you all hear me in the back? Yeah? Good. <laughs> good, good. Um, uh, <laughs> well, I hope Uncle Scrooge will forgive the suit. I, uh, well, normally I have to have my suits tailored as the ready mades don't quite do the job, you know, too small and I have one at my tailor's right now, but the gent said it wouldn't be ready till tomorrow. Fat lot of good it does now, right? But not to worry, I says, I have an old suit that might serve. See, when I heard Mr. Scrooge had died, I hopped the next train for London and didn't even take an overnight case. They figured I'd have enough in the London flat, right? My manager says... "'Here now, hang on a minute. "'We've got bookings lined up. "'You can't just pop off to London "'for a week in the middle of a tour. "'What will I tell the promoters?' Uh, "'Tell them I'm recovering from a minor injury,' I says. "'What minor injury?' he says. "'You,' I says. (laughs) "'Me? What about me?' he says. "'You're a pain in the arse!' I says. "'Excuse the French, "'and apologies to the kids in the audience, "'who should be in bed, by the way, "'at this time of night, now.' Okay, just don't tell your mums. We'll make up the dates when I get back, I says. So I suppose I should pick up that suit and then perhaps pick up some more clothes before I head back to York. I could miss the funeral though. And I was glad that folks were kind enough not to laugh. At me, not an uncle Scrooge. No one was laughing at him. You know, I think folks were genuinely sorry that he passed. Which is interesting when you consider how he was for so many years. I know he did me dad a great kindness. Hey mum, hey dad. And well, as for me, well I was pretty nigh a goner years ago. What well, with a bum leg and always feeling like I never got enough to eat. I knew it was rough on me parents though. So I always tried to be chipper and not add to the burden. It was better anyway to be like that. You know if you focus on the good... The bed doesn't seem to be so horrible. And horrible it was when I was young, but mum and dad kept the aura from the household as best they could. Still, you couldn't hide from it once you walked out the door, all pervasive it was. As a weak and sickly child, I suppose I felt it more than most people. So I tend to daydream, to escape from the oppressive air, misery, what have you. Daydreaming came easy to me, (laughs) especially when I was hungry. I would daydream that I was a knight of King Arthur's Round Table, rescuing maidens and helping the poor, or a great inventor who thinks up useful machines to help society. But mostly, I dreamt of being a champion prize fighter. You're laughing. Why? Why wouldn't a kid... Nicknamed Tiny Tim, want to grow up to be a famous prize fighter. Despite a chronic cough, dodgy leg, and an undernourished frame, a kid can dream, can't he? And such a kid as that might conceivably dream of being a powerful champion, a writer of wrongs, and attractive to the ladies, am I right? I'm right, aren't I? You know, I'm still single if you're interested. Never underestimate the power of an optimistic outlook. That's the lesson I learned from me father. See things as they should be, not always as what they look like on the surface. I love me dad and me mom. When I told them about my dream, they didn't laugh. They didn't scold. They smiled at me and said they hoped that since my body wasn't working so well for me that maybe I'd be happy using my mind to help people, you know, right the wrongs and help the poor and such. So, I set about to arrange my mind to become a famous inventor. But one Christmas, about ten years ago, a miracle happened. Dad's boss, a dire old bedger, suddenly decides he's going to become a personal benefactor. And he starts sending over a huge turkey dinner without so much as a buy-your-leave. Oh, heaven above, I ate for England. I mean, I was stuffing it down. There was so much none of us had to stint to make sure everyone got some. It was lovely. Then... We find out the next day that it came from Mr. Scrooge who appears at our house and is happier than a pig digging up truffles. He says he's raised me dad's pay and he's going to help us with our living situation. And I guess it still draws a tear to me eye. He says he's going to find a surgeon to sort out me leg and dodgy elf, And we're not to pay a penny of it neither. He wants to be an uncle to us, he says. He's sorry he hasn't come by earlier, but he's here now, and we'll make up for the lost time. What are the chances? Right, we all swarmed him and started to call him uncle right away. Mum made a face, but she eventually got around to it. She was convinced he was sincere, not balmy on Christmas drink. I don't know if Uncle Scrooge had second thoughts when he started seeing the grocer's bills, but if he was shocked, he never said a word. Always had a little presence for us when he came to the house, which ended up being about once a week for supper. And he did become like a favourite uncle to us. And I did grow up to become a famous prize fighter, as you all know, but I bet you didn't know it was because of Ebenezer Scrooge, now did you? Now once my leg was put to right, I started training in earnest. Everybody but me thought it was a lark that sooner or later I would get back to my studies and get around to something useful. Sport is useful, eh? Don't all of us go in for it? Or if uh, we're not playing, we're watching it, right? Knocking people down became the means to lift me up. Sure, I took some hits early in my career, but being now amongst the top in my profession, perhaps I'll slow down a bit. Think about what's next. I was always a good reader and quick with me studies. Sport was something I had to do, you know, just had to do. You have to be willing to adapt to change. Dare I say, repent, without sounding like a vicar. I mean, You know what I mean, repent, rethink, be responsive to what is happening now instead of fantasizing about the future without taking care of the present. It's what every champion has to do. You stick to the old habits, patterns, thinking and you get punched in the face by life. You stay in one place, you make an easy target, but you keep moving forward, rolling with the punches and dodging the temptations, the sucker traps, and you stand a chance of winning. Look, if I didn't adapt and improve, I'd have been laid out time and again by Martin Chuzzlewit's left hook, the boozy oaf. He'd take me out with that. Or Jerry Cruncher, that bear wrestling type. They say he also moonlights as a body snatcher. You can't let him get a hold of you. Speaking of which, my two craftiest opponents are Little Dorrit and the famous Fleetfoot Fagin. Try to get a hold of them sometime in the ring. Why don't you? Can't grab 'em worth well a tryin'. That's the way you take on life, I say. You gotta flow like a river, headed to the sea, always moving forward, always. Finding a harmonious way. Sometimes you have to go out of your way to avoid the rocks. Sometimes you go right over the obstacles. And Sometimes you have to take a few falls. But always, you know you're headed on to join something greater than yourself. That's what watching Uncle Scrooge taught me. Once you find a way, you know that moving towards the greater good is the only path. Enjoy the journey. Help folks along the way. Give them a cup of cold water in charity's name and never regret the gesture. That's what I've been taught. Look, this is just me, but I know there's a higher mind that hears our cries at night who speaks to us quietly saying, flow to the left and flow to the right. You should listen to that voice always and forever. Don't wait until the last minute like Uncle Scrooge. If you call that little voice God, well, good on you, mate. If not, whatever you call it, cherish it. Listen to it when it whispers, or you'll never be able to throw off your crutches and fight for the cause. Whatever that is. Now, this is just me, so don't take offence. But Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. And, wait for it, God bless us, everyone.
2: The Ghost of Jacob Marley was played by John O'Hagan. Fred was played by Caleb King. Belle was played by Sue Ellen Coftree. Mrs. Dilber was played by Chrissy Calkins Steele. Arthur Dodger, a.k.a. Turkey Boy, was played by Matthew Cox. Tiny Tim was played by Jack Dearborn, Mrs. Fezziwig, Was played by Jeff Calloway. Mrs. Cratchit was played by Trish Brown. Mr. Burnham was played by Andrew Martin. Incidental music and other melodies were supplied by Maestro Matthew Cox.
1: We hope you have enjoyed this episode of A Dickens of a Tale by Jeff Calloway, performed by Bankside Repertory Theatre. If you liked what you heard, we'd be very grateful if you would take a moment to rate and review us so that others can find their way to the work. We also encourage you to subscribe. We'll be producing more audio drama as well as a variety of additional programs related to the visual and performing arts. Links to our website and other bonus information can be found in the show notes. From all of us at Bankside Arts Collective, a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to you and yours.
0: Setting and Aunt Rise,
2: take two. Our story opens in the public salon of Burnham and Berry Limited, Undertakers. It is a well-appointed room in the somber tones of a funeral home of Victorian England. Center stage features a podium where the speakers stand to offer their memories of Ebenezer Scrooge the recently dear departed whose painting stands on an easel decorated with a tasteful wreath and a velvet ribbon. The salon appears empty, but we hear the ghost of Jacob Marley entering through the salon dragging his long, awkward chain and mumbling discontentedly. The service has not yet started. Marley is in the clothes he wore in life. A little worse for the wear. His face is a fright, and his hair stands on end from all the heat in the underworld.
0: Our memorial service for Ebenezer Scrooge.
2: Continues in the Public Salon of Burnham and Barry, Limited, Undertakers.